with us. We have been working through uh, a parable in Luke chapter 15. Uh, it's called the parable of the lost things. We've talked about the lost sheep. We've talked about the lost coin. And this morning and then in two weeks we're going to be looking at um, the last parable, which is you would know it as the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm hoping that after this week and, and two weeks from now you never think of it as the parable of the prodigal son again because it's not about the prodigal son, and we'll get into that in, in a little bit. I want to tell you a story, and I want you to put yourself in, in the story, and I want you to be honest with yourself about how you would feel. So bear with me a little bit, and let's go into the world of make-believe and fantasy and think about this for a second. Let's assume that you grew up in a Christian home and that you put your faith and trust in Christ at a very young age. And so your parents encouraged you to do all of the right things, and you did all of the right things. And you would talk about your faith, and you would, um, when all the other kids were doing stuff they shouldn't do, you were the kid who stayed home, and you were the kid that everybody made fun of. And, and you went through your life that way, and finally you get to be older, and you're in your young 50s or 60s, and uh, you're looking back on your life, and, and you realize that, you know, it, it's been a pretty good life, hasn't been a bad life, it's been an average life, you've struggled, you've had um, job situations and things like that that you've worked your way through, but you've managed to be okay. At the same time you were growing up, you had a buddy in, in, in high school, or in elementary school, and your buddy was in the same, kind of in the same boat, he was brought up in a Christian family as well, but your buddy decided that he didn't want anything to do with that Christianity thing. So he used to make fun of you all the time. He used to tell you about how stupid you were, and he used to tell you about he doesn't want anything to do with that. And so as he got older, he started making a whole bunch of really bad decisions. And he just decided that the whole Christian God Bible thing was for the birds, and he wanted nothing to do with it. So he went off to college. He ends up with a business degree, and he starts to run his own business and becomes pretty successful. After that, your buddy decides that, um, you know, I've been pretty successful in business, so he starts to purchase a number of bars. And before you know it, he has actually started a chain of unique bars, and he is making money hand over fist. So he decides that, you know what, I, this is pretty good, but there's better money to be made in the gambling thing, so he opens up a casino, and before he knows it, He's now the owner and manager of a couple of casinos. And so the money continues to keep pouring in. He's flying all over the world. He's doing all kinds of things. And then he starts to decide that, you know what, there are other investments out there. So he buys a couple of strip clubs, starts to make some money that way as well. He gets involved in a whole bunch of other businesses, and some of them healthy and family-oriented, and some of them not. And, and he's just making money right left. I mean, it, it seems like everything he does is like the Midas touch. Everything he does, he, he just gets reaped with money and, and, and fame and fortune. And he's doing incredibly, incredibly well. As he starts to approach his uh, late 50s, early 60s, things like that, he's, he's retired years ago. Uh, he's got more money than he knows what to do with. He just sits around and decides what he wants to do every day. And he's running all the businesses and owns them. And, and he is doing a regular 
check up with the doctor and finds out he has some health issues and things aren't looking too good for him. So he starts to seek out some of the best medical attention that he can get and basically it comes down to you don't have much time to live. So he decides to reconnect back with his home place so he kind of gets back into the community so he moves back into your town. And um, let's just say it's here. So he moves back into the area, and uh, he tries to reconnect with some of his friends, and one day he shows up at church here. And as he's sitting here, God works in his heart, and he decides that he realizes his spiritual condition, and he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. So he takes all of his money, all of his energy, and all of his efforts, and he then starts funneling them into Christian stuff. So, and here's how you'll know it's a story. He decides to give us a whole bunch of money, and we name a building after him. (laughs) And he gives us more money, and we put stained glass windows up, and we put plaques in them all about this is what he did. And his disease continues to progress, and really, within a year, he's dead. And so we have his funeral. And, of course, in a funeral... Since the focus of a funeral needs to be the person's life and God's working in a person's life, we talk about the last year of his life. And we talk about how God used him. And we talk about how God did an incredible thing in his life. And you're sitting there, you who have for 50 or 60 years faithfully served God and made the right choices and stayed away from unhealthy things. And all you hear for the next couple of years in the community is what a great Christian man he was. And what a great thing God did in his life. Now, with that in mind, how do you feel? I mean, let's face it. For 50 years, you made the hard decisions to follow God. For 50 years, you said no to the stuff he said yes to. For 50 years, you struggled, and he just enjoyed the high life. And now, he dies, and everybody's talking about what a great Christian man he was for a whole year. And you've been serving God for 50 or 60 years, and nobody said boo about your service. How do you feel? Because you see, the story that we're looking at this morning is about that very thing. You see, the Pharisees had a problem with Jesus. They loved the law. They loved the Old Testament. They loved the Word of God. They had tried to do everything that it said. They had made all kinds of rules and added to it. They were trying to do all of the right things, and Jesus comes along, a guy who knows the Old Testament, who they're amazed at his knowledge of the Scripture, and they're thinking in their minds, he should be spending time with us. And instead, he goes and spends all of his time with these undesirables, these people who don't care about the word, who don't care about God, who don't care about, who are living for themselves. And the Pharisees struggle with that, and they go, we don't get it. I mean, we're doing what's right. We're, 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 we're faithful to God. We're, we're, we're focusing on the intricacies of the scriptures and trying to do it all right. And you're spending time with those guys? Why? What about us? And so Jesus tells this story. He tells the series of parables of the, the sheep 
which was lost just because it was wandering, didn't know what else to do. The coin, which was lost because of the carelessness of the woman. And then he's going to tell this story this morning about a son who decides to turn his back on it all and purposely walk away. So with that in mind, let's read the story. Here it goes. The question starts in verse 1 where it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was the whole context of these stories. So he tells a story about the lost sheep. He tells a story about the coin. And then he gets to this story. And here's where it picks up um, in verse, what verse are we going to, guys? Uh, 11. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Under the, the law at the time, the oldest son always got double portion. So what that meant is if you have two sons, we divide everything into thirds. The oldest son gets two-thirds, the youngest son would get one-third. If there were four, we divide it into fourths, and one would get half, the other two would get a quarter, a quarter. So he says, and by the way, to ask your dad for your inheritance before he dies was a nice way of saying, I wish you were dead. You're not dying fast enough. Give me my money. And that's basically what the younger son does. And he says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed his fields to feed his pig. Uh, now remember, this is a Jewish boy. Jews, Jews and pigs don't get along. So for him to have to take that job spoke to the level of how low he had gone. All right? So he's now feeding pigs and... He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. So what, what he's saying is, as he carried the slop bucket out to get to the pigs, he's sitting there going, that looks good. So whatever he was eating, the slop bucket looked better than what he was eating. So it's bad. It's really, really bad. And he goes on to say this. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out, I'll go back to my father, I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And he got up and went to his father. He came to the end of himself and said, you know what? It's time I go back to dad. I mean, even as a hired man, I would have it better than I've got it right now. Maybe he'll just take me back and let me work for him. So that's what he does. Now notice the story continues. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no more lo longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The ring was significant because it would have marked him as a son, as, 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 as not as a servant to the master. So it would have been very, very significant. It was kind of like the family crest thing, if you will. And he said, uh, put the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. So he had even got to the point that he didn't even have sandals. He was that poor. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost. He's found. So they began to celebrate. Again, you saw this in the sheep. You saw this in the coin. You see this in the son. And he goes on to say this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He is working, doing what he's supposed to be doing. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and said, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has sent him back safe and sound. Yay. No, not if you're the older brother. Notice what he says. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friend. When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So now Jesus tells this story. Now, in, in all your growing up, most of you are like me. And when you've heard this story, the focus has been what? The son. But in none of these parables do we focus on the lost thing. The parable of the sheep, we don't talk about the sheep. In the parable of the coin, we don't talk about the coin. But in the parable of the son, we want to talk about the prodigal son. The focus is not the prodigal son. The focus is not the son that went off. That doesn't answer the question the Pharisees are asking, why does he eat with publicans and sinners? The focus of the story is twofold. One we're looking at this week, one we're going to look at in two weeks. The response of the father and the attitude of the older brother. That's the focus of this parable. Because you see, the older brother is the Pharisees. And that's what he's going to talk about in this story. A couple of things just to be aware of as we look at it. Charles Dickens said this is the finest story ever written. Um, the way this thing is written is, is incredible. If you'll think about it for a minute, and you're a Pharisee, this is one that all of a sudden it comes up and sneaks up on you before you even realize. Because when Jesus is telling the story, think about it in the mind of a Pharisee. A Pharisee sitting there going, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the older, uh, younger son, bad, 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 bad. The older son is angry. Yay, yay, yay. And then he's like, whoa, the older son was wrong. And all of a sudden now, the Pharisees have got something to think about. A couple of things that are interesting about this. The father does not go looking for the son when he leaves. The father's standing there, and when the son comes back, the father sees him afar off and goes to him. But I think it's significant. The father in the lost sheep, the, the, the shepherd goes looking. In the coin, the woman goes looking. In this story, the father doesn't go looking. The father is standing at home waiting for the son to respond. In this story, um, the older brother refuses to go in. And the father comes out to meet the older brother. In this story, the, the self-righteousness of the, brother, uh, the older brother is incredible. He sits there and says, look, I never disobeyed you. You've heard your kids say this. You know, not me, it was them. But not me, I would never do that. It had to be, in Jimmy's world, it had to be Gouda. Gouda did it. Who's Gouda? He's right here. He had an imaginary friend, Gouda. Gouda, Gouda, did, Gouda did everything wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, that was, I mean, and that was his world. It couldn't be me, it was my fault. And we're, a lot of us are like that. We walk around with our imaginary Gouda. Uh, you know, not me. Um, 
I, I don't know who did that, but it wasn't me. And those of you who are only children, I don't know how you get away with it other than coming up with a good uh. You know, that's the only reason I think two kids are great because at least they can blame one another. Uh, but anyway, he goes on, and, 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 he's, and, he, and he makes some accusations here that really aren't true. He, he goes in and says, look, he squandered everything you've got. No, that wasn't true. He goes in and he makes the accusation. He said, you know, he's, he uses a thing, and he said, um, you, uh, uh, he, he squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home. We don't know that. So he just slandered about it, and I love this idea. Notice what he says. He said, um, angry, his brother pleaded, and he said, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, he had, and this is what's important, he had disassociated himself from the family. You get that? And while the family is celebrating inside, everybody's around, everybody's having a party, where is he? He's on the outside. He won't even go in to be a part of his family. Now, how do you get there? Because you see, I think that's the beauty. I think that's the, some of the things of, of this story. So let's walk. Up. Notice what he does, because there's, there's a lot of clues in this thing. Look at verse 29. But he answered his father and said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your word. The first thing the older brother does, he starts focusing on what he did. He starts looking, he starts, and you guys are going through this in Sunday school. He does the comparison thing. Well, I've got this list. And by the way, is that not what the Pharisees have done? We have this list of all the things that we have done. So you should accept us. Look, that ought to be a clue to you. Get rid of your lists. Those of you who are married, you want to know when you'll know you're in trouble in your marriage? When you start going through your list. Well, do you know what I'm doing for her? I've done this and this and this and this and this. And she goes, well, I'm not going to do that for him because I've done this and this and this and this. And I don't, and he's not even grateful. And I don't even, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and you get into this thing about comparing lists. Why? Because you start focusing on what it is you have done. And that is a dead end road, folks. And that's exactly what happens here. He starts saying, look, my younger brother, I did all of this stuff, and he did all of this stuff, and he starts this comparison game. Listen, it will get you in trouble. It will get you in trouble in your job. It will get you in trouble. When you start playing that game, it is a losing game, and in particularly in relationships. And then notice what he goes on. If that isn't enough, notice the next thing he starts going. He starts saying, look, you never even gave me a goat that I should celebrate with my friends. So now what does he focus on? Now he starts focusing on, look, here's my list, here's all that I've done, and here's what I deserve. And how do you think that's going to end? You go to your spouse and say, now look, I want you to know I spent four hours cutting the grass this week. If you've only, if you only spent four hours cutting the grass this week, I want to meet you. Because it seems like every time I turn around, it needs to be cut again. Can you imagine me coming to my wife going, all right, I cut grass for four hours this week. I want to see how much time you spent in the kitchen, woman. And she goes, well, I want you to know, here's how much time I spent cleaning the house. So how much time did you spend on the yard? 
and we get into that game because what are we saying? Ultimately, we're saying, I deserve this. And, and let me tell you, it is a dead end road. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were coming to Jesus saying, look, here's our list of all the things that we've done. Here's what we deserve. We deserve that you ought to be spending time with us, not with those guys. And they, that's exactly what they were doing. And notice how it ends with them. Because I love what the dad says. The dad looks at him and goes, wait a minute. He corrects him in it. And he says, look, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. What do you mean I didn't give you a young goat? If you wanted it, go get it. It's yours anyway. He already got his one-third. All the rest of the stuff's yours. You want a goat to go have a party with your friends? Go kill a goat and have a party with your friends. But think about it from the older son's perspective for a minute. What did dad do for the younger son? What did he do? Go through it. Come on, help me out. Wake up. Gave him a coat, gave him a ring, and specifically. Huh? Sandals, and one more thing, specifically. He killed the fatted calf. Remember that? Here's a question for you. Who took care of the fatted calf? Can you imagine older brother standing there going, I raised that thing. I fed that thing. I babied that thing. And you took that thing and you gave it to that ungrateful person who you birthed. And, and, and you didn't even ask me. I'm the one who tagged it. I'm the one who did this. I'm the one who did it. And, and, and Jesus stopped. And, and, and the father says, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything I have is yours. And that's what he goes on to say. And the father said, you're always with me. But we have to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, he was dead. And now he is alive again. And he goes on to say this. He was lost, and he's found. And he looks at the older brother, and what I think is so fast about this story, it ends here. When this story ends, the father is standing outside talking to the older son. The older son is standing outside refusing to be a part of the family, refusing to continue a relationship with the father, refusing to have anything to do with this group. And Jesus is making a statement here in that the way the Pharisees were responding was affecting their relationship with the Father as well. Because they didn't like the idea that Jesus was accepting these people. And Jesus was trying to illustrate to these people, listen, if you want to focus on all your stuff and you want to talk about what you deserve, you're missing the point. It's about people. And I came to seek and serve that which was lost. I didn't come to minister to. I came to be minister, to give my life for answer for me. I came to reach these kind of people. And if you're really with me, then you'll be celebrating with me, not standing on the outside being critical looking in. And that's the, the, the way the story plays out. A couple of lessons for us. First of all, 
there's a lesson in here about salvation. It's a lesson in here about no matter what you have done, no matter how low you have stooped, no matter what your past, God stands at the door looking for you to come in. And when he sees you, when you start and make that decision to move towards him, he runs to you. That's what the story, that's the first layer of the story. That's what the story is really about. And he's trying to get that across to the Pharisees. Second lesson, I think, is for those of us who are put our faith and trust in Christ. This is a story about relationships. This is a story about choosing people over things. This is a story about choosing relationships over my rights and what I deserve and my lists. It's about focusing on what's really, really, really important in life. And I think sometimes we... We, we, we minimize that. Look, I get that your job may not be the best job in the world. I get that you work long hours, you're, over, you're, you're overworked and underpaid. Get it. I get that you think you deserve more. But if you continue with that attitude, it's going to destroy you. I get that you think your spouse should treat you better, but you know what? You can treat your spouse better too. That road goes both ways. My wife and I, we do really well together. There are things I can still do better. And if you spend a little time with me, I'll tell you the things I think she should do better in. But we won't go there right now. I mean, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? We can both do better. But when we start with our list, it's a dead end. It will destroy the relationship. When we start focusing on what we deserve... It destroys our relationship. Kids, you really don't want to go down the road with your parents of giving you what you deserve. Okay? Because you see, most of your parents bend over backwards to give you a lot of things you don't deserve. They give you a lot of things to make your life easier than their life was when they grew up. And I'm not so sure sometimes that's a good thing. Because the reason you are the way you are is because of your world. And I understand some of you, it was, it was an overcoming thing, but I'm saying, I'm saying, mom and dad, hear me here, there is value in struggle. And we have all seen what happens when you give a kid everything and expect nothing. And I think one of the reasons we're struggling as a culture the way we are is because we tried to give our kids a better world, and we did, but we didn't give them a better world preparing them for life. We gave them an easier world, and that's the danger. You know, And, and, and one, of the, one of the things that I think you see here in this story is you see this issue of they started focusing on what he deserved. And that, that will get you in trouble, okay? Because as a Christian, what do I really deserve? As an, as a, as an unsaved person, what do I really deserve? Hell. Anything else past hell is a gift. 
Anything else past that is the grace of God, right? And I think that's what—that's the other lesson you see in this. What does the older son have? He, he has an ungrateful heart. He's not grateful for that which he's given. He's lost the perspective, all right? Now, I want to go back to our story that I started with at the beginning. Because here's what you and I look at. You and I look at that story from the perspective of this world. Money, fame, fortune, fun, all those things. And we go, wow. And what happens a lot of times in life is we do the same thing. We focus on, if we're not careful, we, 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 miss, we miss it from eternity's perspective. Uh, here's where I see it played out in Christianity a lot. You take somebody who's had a horrible background, and they come to Christ. And in a lot of churches, here's what they'll do. They will put that person up on a stage. They will have them give their testimony. I had a guy, when I was a youth pastor, I had a guy who came to me, and he had been saved out of drugs and alcohol and all, all, all that stuff. And he came to me and said, look, I've, God's done some really great things in my life, and I want to share this with the, with the youth group. And I said, great, I'm excited. But I said, you know what, if you're going to give your testimony, let's remember this. I said, I want you to focus on God. I want you to focus on Christ. And I don't want you to say anything about your past. Well, that ain't going to take very long. <laughs> he said, exactly. Because I said, you see, the point is, if you want to sit here and talk about your drugs and your alcohol and all the stuff that you did, what you develop in the life of the, in the mind of a teenager is, well, you did it and you came out okay, so I can too. I said, I'm not interested in that. Your testimony needs to be about what God has done in your life, not all the things that you did in your life before you came to God. And he never volunteered to give, the re- give his testimony because he was interested in something else. Why? Because you see, so many times we focus on that and we look at it, and, and even, even mature Christians do that. They look at somebody who's had a horrible past, gotten saved later in life, and here's what they say. They say, the grace of God was amazing to save them out of that. And I, no question, the grace of God was amazing to do that. I'm, I'm thrilled that they came to Christ. I get it. But in the illustration of the guy that I talked about before, how long did he serve God faithfully? One year. So when he stands before God, he presents to God one year of service. One year. Versus you, who for 50 or 60 years have faithfully served God. What do you present to God? 50 or 60 years of faithful, devoted service. Tell me where God's more pleased. Let me take it one step farther. Tell me where the grace of God is greater. You see, I, while, while the grace of God is amazing for someone to go through a whole bunch of horrible stuff and then come to Christ, I say the grace of God is greater when you look at those little kids that were gathered up here this morning. And they come to Christ at an early age, and they never experience any of that stuff. 
Because even those people who come to Christ later in life, and, and many of you are there. Many of you, you're a first-generation Christian. You came to Christ in your 30s, 40s, 50s. You have a past that you're not, you're not happy about. You have a past you would love to change. You have a past that you, 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 really you want nothing to do with. And I'm thrilled that God's grace has reached you. But I know, because you and I have talked, I know that there are scars and there are marks on your life because of those events. And that there are struggles because of that past. And there are difficulties because of that past. And you're doing great because you're, you're doing well with it and everything else. But you every day worry and deal with that stuff. But that old kid sitting here this morning who puts his faith and trust in Christ and continues to make decisions that honors God for the rest of his life, he doesn't have to experience any of that. He doesn't have to experience the scars and the difficulty and the pain and the hardship. So let me ask you the question again. Where is the grace of God greater? See, I think it's a matter of perspective. And we tend to look at it and go, you know, I, I, I just don't think it's fair. We give that guy all the honor and glory. And I, and I really don't think we should give that guy all the honor and glory. I think the grace of God is more manifest and is more incredible in the life of a child who comes to Christ early and never has to deal with the hurt and the marks and the scars and all of that stuff. That's why we work so hard with making kids a part of our service. That's why we work hard to make sure kids are, are, are part of this thing because we, that, that's our goal, that's our desire. And I just want to challenge you with it because the older brother was sitting back not realizing what he had. And that's why the father comes to him and says, look, everything I've got here, don't you get it? Come in and celebrate. Be a part of this thing. And the older brother says, I don't want anything to do with it. And the story ends with the older brother standing on the outside, an empty place at the table with everybody celebrating, but the older brother's not there. And for those of us that have experienced the grace of God, look, anytime anybody comes into the kingdom of God as a believer, in the words of Duck Dynasty, happy, happy, happy. And if you don't know what Duck Dynasty is, talk to me. I will enlighten you. Right? Um, what'd you say? Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, happy, happy. I mean, You've got to be rejoicing and excited about that. And if you're not careful, listen, if you're not careful, you will become that older brother. You will be the one who sits back and stands on the outside, and it affects your relationship with others, it affects your relationship with the Father, it affects everything. Don't be that person. And for those of you who put your faith and trust in Christ, let me tell you something. Your salvation is the greatest gift anything you will ever receive in your life. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know why God would love me and why God would save me, but I'll tell you what, I am thankful every day that he did. And anybody else who comes to Christ, happy, happy, happy. I'm going to rejoice with them. If it's on their deathbed or if it's as a child, we're going to rejoice. Why? Because that which was lost is now found. 
He's now my brother, my sister. He's now family. I close with this. This week, may each of us look at our own salvation with a heart of gratefulness. May we focus on relationships over things and realize that we have experienced the grace of God. And may we be grateful for the grace God has shown each of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the time. Thank you for your word. Speak to our hearts. May we apply it. If there are those, Lord, that are like the older brother this morning, they're sitting here, Lord, and they're focusing on all the things they've done, may you help them to realize that salvation is not something they can work to achieve, but it's something that is given freely from you that each of us has to accept and embrace. Lord, for those of us that are believers, Lord, we've kind of fallen into the trap, Lord, where we're starting to focus on what we do and what we deserve Lord, would you help us to realize, Lord, that it is your grace and your love and your mercy that gave us everything that we have. And may we live as grateful people for all you have done in our lives. And Lord, may our lives this week be less about things and more about people. These things we ask in your name. Amen.